it's the the fourth sermon of a five-week series titled Jesus is the King. So the last three weeks, we saw that Jesus in the Bible is declared to be king. Jesus is victorious as king. He is enthroned as the king. And today we'll see that Jesus is the king who has triumphed. We'll look at the conquest of the king. You're in Ephesians 1. Let's read this together. Beginning in verse 15, we'll read down to the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. I trust you'll pray quietly in your mind and heart as I pray aloud. Father, thank you for your word. We pray now that your word would change us. We pray that we as your people would submit to what you have said. And most of all, we would submit to the living word, your son, Jesus. Father, we pray for those who were here this morning who have not yet submitted themselves to the reign of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would have mercy on them and that that you would save them, that they would turn from their rebellion against the king the king who is seated at your right hand and that they would pay homage to the son and so find mercy and find refuge in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this. Amen. I'm sure that you've heard the saying, there's a new sheriff in town. It refers back, of course, to the American Wild West frontier times. So you'd have these small towns in the western U.S., And they'd be governed or ruled by a sheriff. And if lawlessness started to increase in that town, sometimes the government would send in a a new sheriff. There's a new sheriff in town. And that new sheriff's job is to restore order and rule. Now, when there's a new sheriff in town, uh, the people in town respond in one of two ways. There are some who, who live according to the sheriff's laws. And they enjoy being under his authority. They They submit to what is expected of them, and they appreciate the order that the new sheriff brings. But for those who are rebellious, lawless, disobedient, what do they experience? The justice of the sheriff. There's a new sheriff in town. Well, as we've seen, Jesus is king. You might say there's a new king on the throne. He's been enthroned as king. He's been declared to be the king. And the rule of Christ brings two effects 
based on our response, your response to him. For those who, who submit to Jesus, they receive his blessing. But for those who, who rebel against his authority, they experience his just punishment for sin. We have two points this morning, but before we get to them, we need to look at the context of this passage we just read. So look back at verse 19. Verse 19. We're jumping into the middle of this long prayer. But notice in verse 19 that, that we read of God's great power and great might. End of the verse. So this power is so great, it can't be measured. It's immeasurable. And God the Father worked this great power, verse 20, in his Son, in Jesus Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So these two workings out of, of God the Father's power. Christ's resurrection and then Christ's exaltation. And here, seated. I think most of us as Christians, we, we know the significance of the resurrection, right? If Christ has not been raised, then my preaching is in vain and your belief is in vain. In fact, we're found to be misrepresenting God if Christ's resurrection didn't happen. So there's significance there, but what's the significance of God's immeasurable power seating Christ at his right hand? What's the significance of this, this seating? Well, pastor and author Kevin DeYoung gives us a, a couple helpful illustrations, so I'm borrowing his illustrations. I want you to picture in a courtroom... There's an attorney, and he's making his closing arguments to the jury. He crescendos his rhetoric. He pauses, and he says, I rest my case. And he sits down. Or maybe closer to home for, for some of us, think of a mom who's had no time for herself all day. She's made meals, cleaned the house, changed diapers, folded clothes, helped with homework, played in the backyard, raced to the grocery store, and now she finally has the kids quiet and sleeping in their beds. She wearily walks down the stairs, and for the first time that whole day, since she woke up 14 hours ago, she sits down. Now, in both examples, sitting down is, is more than rest. It marks completion. The work is finished. Everything that was necessary has been accomplished. That's why it's so amazing to think that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. He had a task to accomplish here on earth. And he did it all. It is finished. Having shown himself to be the victor over sin and death and the devil, he sat down to rule and reign. Almost 300 years ago, uh, Charles Wesley wrote the hymn titled, Rejoice, the Lord is King. And his purpose in writing this song was to help God's people, and by extension today, us, see the reign of King Jesus, to really see it, to really think about it and meditate on it. Not just say it, but to see it. And then, once we've seen it, to then respond rightly to his universal rule. So the, the second stanza specifically says this, right? Jesus, the Savior, reigns. The God of truth and love, when he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. The purging work is finished. It's complete. And so Jesus took his seat 
above. Our king reigns as he sits on his throne. Now we're going to keep moving through this passage. And the next couple of verses give us our first point. So from verses 21 and 22, we're going to see the extent of Christ's reign. The extent, extent of Christ's reign. His reign, the reign of King Jesus, is all-encompassing. Did you notice the, the types of words used? Look at verse 21. Jesus reigns far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. God is making it really clear. Jesus rules over all. All authorities, all rulers, every name, not only now, but forever. Jesus is the king over all. My friend, the fact is, there is only one king. There's only one king. His name is Jesus. And he reigns now and he reigns forever. He's far above. Verse 21 says, far above. Later on in Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 10, we read that Jesus ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Or maybe think of Philippians 2, where after Christ's humiliation, his humbling himself, we read that God highly exalted him. You might say super exalted him. Jesus reigns not just above, but, but far above. I think the idea here is something like Mount Everest. Is Mount Everest above K2, which is the second highest mountain in the world? Yes, Mount Everest is above K2. Is Mount Everest above the anthill in your driveway? It's far above the anthill in your driveway. Exceedingly great. Jesus doesn't just reign a little bit above everybody else or everything else. But far above. And far above all. Right, That's the next word in verse 21. Above all, all what? All rule and authority and power and dominion. Our world is full of earthly rulers and authorities and powers and dominions, isn't it? In fact, if you study history or if you don't, you know that the story of human history is in many ways just the story of powers in conflict with each other. Most wars are fought over who will rule, and how far will they rule? So in our own nation's history, right? The question was, would England rule over the 13 colonies? Would their rule, would that king's rule extend to the 13 colonies? Would the, would the power of Nazi Germany, the earthly power of Nazi Germany, defeat the allied powers? There's a conflict of earthly authorities. Would the authority of Kim Il-sung extend over the entire Korean peninsula or just the northern half of the Korean peninsula? Our world is full of these conflicts, these battles over who will rule and, and how far this person or people will rule. And so earthly kings and authorities, they fight with each other to determine the extent of their dominion. But there's one king and he rules over them all. That power, that authority that, that you feel right now is 
gaining too much power in our world and seems to be using their power to to hurt and to harm, Jesus rules over that power. He rules over that king, that dominion, that authority. He rules over them all. And not just above, but far above them all. We keep reading, he rules far above every name that is named in the middle of verse 21. Every name that is named. Or again, from Philippians 2, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The first recipients of this book, this inspired letter, was was the church at Ephesus. And we read in Acts that in the early years of, of the Ephesian church, a riot broke out in the city. There was a man named Demetrius, and he stirs up a crowd. He stirs them up by explaining that If the gospel that Paul preaches is true, it would diminish the magnificence of the goddess Artemis. When the crowd hears this, they're enraged, Acts says. And for two hours, they yell, they cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! For two hours. It's likely that some who were chanting that now are members of this church. And they're hearing that as great as Artemis may be, or as great as she might be in the minds of of people there in that city of Ephesus, there is a king who is above every name. Above the name of Artemis, above the name of anybody else you want to fill in that blank, Jesus is the king far above all and far above every name. And his extent, his reign, extends Beyond time. See how verse 21 ends? Not only in this age, not only right now, but also in the age to come. Christ's reign, his rule is not bound by time. Jesus is the eternal king. He rules far above all and he rules far above all forever. And then going into verse 22, as Paul is inspired by, this, by the Holy Spirit, he's going to use some, some expressions, some phrasing, some wording from a few different psalms. Verse 22 begins, and, and he, that's God the Father, put all things under his, that's God the Son, Jesus, under his feet. So what's under the feet of Jesus here? It's, it's all things. And this idea of, of all things under the feet of Jesus, it shows up in other parts of the Bible, it's the idea of subjection, subjection. And that's the word that's often used in some of these other passages where that, that theme and often a quote from one of the Psalms shows up. So we'll look now at another one of these. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. As you're turning, uh, just a picture of subjection, this idea of all things under Christ's feet. Think of a, a victorious warrior. And he has his, his foot on the throat of the defeated enemy. That's the idea. In fact, from Old Testament, we know that when David killed Goliath, we read in 1 Samuel that, that David ran and stood over the Philistine. Goliath was under the feet of David. That's the idea here of, of subjection. And so in Hebrews 2, let's start reading in verse 5. We'll read down. Uh, to the first part of verse 8. Hebrews 2, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. 
And now in most of your Bibles, you see this is set apart as kind of a paragraph or poetry. Here, the writer of Hebrews is quoting a psalm. Middle of verse 6. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Friends, the war is over. Satan has lost. Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. He is seated as the victorious king with all things under his feet. Satan is in subjection. Now, as Christ stands over the devil, if you will, with his foot on the throat of the dragon, Satan is still writhing and thrashing about. He's been defeated, but he's still, he's still calling out. Come, follow me, he calls. He tempts us. Come, do, do this. Submit to me, Satan calls, even as he's under the feet of King Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews in verse 8 notes this. At present, he says, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Satan still threatens us. But the fact is, he has been dethroned. He's been dethroned. And one day he'll be fully and completely and finally destroyed. Brothers and sisters, there's a new king on the throne. There's a new king in town, you might say. And so we sing the words of Wesley. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules o'er earth and heaven. Even the keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. So lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice. Again, again, rejoice. There's one king. There's one king, and, and that's Jesus. That rejoicing leads us into our second point this morning, and that is the effects, the effects. If you're spelling it out, that's E, effects. Effect is a verb. Effect is a noun. The effects of Christ's reign. You can pronounce it effects, but it's the effects, the effects of Christ's reign. So what's, what's the extent of his reign? It's all, it's everything. Not only now, but forever. So, so what are then some, some effects of the reign of King Jesus? Well, in the middle of verse 8, it'd be worth our time to, to review again this phrase. In the middle of verse 8, Hebrews 2.8, He, God the Father, left nothing outside his control. Do I know what the word nothing means? It means nothing. It's the opposite of all that we saw in Ephesians 1. Jesus reigns over all. What's, what's outside of Jesus' control? Nothing. Nothing. How does that affect you? How should that affect you? Well, one effect, I think, is that we, we ought to rejoice. 
We ought to rejoice. Jesus is our Savior. He purged our sinful stains and he took his seat above. Can his kingdom fail? No, his kingdom cannot fail. What's the extent of his reign? Does he, does he rule over, over just earth? No, he rules over earth and heaven. Does, does the devil have ultimate authority? No, the keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. So, so rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Now, we can choose to rejoice even when we don't feel happy. You may be here this morning and you're really feeling not so much the phrase, he left nothing outside his control, but you're really feeling the next phrase of verse 8. At present, I don't see everything under his control. And you can and I can, if we're Christians, we, we can rejoice when we remember that Jesus rules over all. We can. Different from feeling happy or getting everything we want. It's rejoicing that there is a king. There's one king. And he's our savior. He's our guide and friend. And to us, he'll condescend. So, so come, join to sing loud praise to Christ our king. Let all with heart and voice before his throne rejoice. Alleluia. Amen. In addition to rejoicing, second effect of Christ's reign is, is hope. There's hope because there is nothing outside his control. Nothing. Dutch theologian and, and statesman Abraham Kuyper, in reflecting on this verse, this phrase, wrote this. There is not a single square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus rules over that too. Jesus rules over every area of your life. Jesus rules over you. He rules over me. Friend, do you, do you believe that? If so, how does that affect the way you live? If so, why are we so afraid of earthly powers? Why do we sometimes sinfully fear what might happen if if a certain person loses an election or a certain person wins an election? Why do we so often sinfully fear if a certain nation conquers us or if a certain institution or person is given a measure of earthly authority? Now hear me, hear me. There are ramifications in this world and in our lives for all those things. And as Christians, we ought to care about how those things affect us and the people around us. But there is one king overall. He's our savior. So of all people, Christians should be the most hopeful, the most confident. Jesus is the king. Our savior is the king. How much is outside of his control? Well, my Bible says nothing. Nothing. Nothing outside of his control. So let's rejoice. Let's hope. Let's trust. Let's trust. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't panic. Don't be anxious. Have you ever been around a, a small child who sees an ant and freaks out? I've been around a few. A few who are also related to me. And, and so this, this small child sees an ant 
and screams and panics. And in that moment, not always in the spirit, but in that moment, I I want to like reason with the child, right? Like, listen, we are so much bigger and so much more powerful than that ant. Stop screaming. There's no reason to be afraid. Don't panic. I'm right here. Far above that ant. Imagine how our our earthly worries appear to God. So God says in Philippians 4, don't worry. I'm at hand. I'm near. I'm here. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray. Pray, God says, and you'll receive my peace to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the effects of of Christ's reign, we rejoice, we hope, we trust, and the Bible says we are bold. Bold in what? Bold in making disciples. As Christ finished his earthly ministry, he said, I have all authority, all power. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. This is just ordinary Christianity. One of the resources that's recommended in your bulletin today is a short article titled Disciple Making is Ordinary Christianity. If you consider yourself an ordinary Christian, you are called to make disciples. And we can have boldness in this because Jesus says he has all authority, all power. There is one king. It's Jesus. And then the last effect of Christ's reign is submission. The reign, the rule of King Jesus causes submission. Now you might look at the first four I mentioned and, and say, well, that's a, that's a choice that, that I need to make. I, I need to trust. I need to hope. I need to rejoice. I need to be more bold in making disciples. And you'd be right. This last one is a choice that you can make now. But ultimately, none of us will escape submitting to King Jesus. Ultimately, you will have no choice as to whether or not you will submit to the one king of the universe who reigns far above all, not only now, but forever. So some in this room have already chosen to submit to King Jesus. And some in this room, I believe, have, have not yet. But you will. You will. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 2. This is the passage that was read earlier in our service. As you turn there, listen to how Philippians 2 continues. I already read a portion from Philippians 2. God has highly exalted Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that. So here we have a purpose. So that. Why is King Jesus the one king over all? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Mine and yours. Every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he rules. That he reigns all to the glory of God the Father. Maybe you've heard the saying that facts don't have feelings. Well, there's one fact. Every single one of us will submit to King Jesus. I will, you will. Some of us will do it in this life, on this earth. We'll do it now and 
and he will shower us with his mercy. Come, sinners, poor and needy, arise and go to Jesus, and he will embrace you in his arms. Some will not do it in this life. They'll, they'll do it too late. And instead of receiving forgiveness for, for their rebellion, they'll receive the punishment they deserve for their rebellion. We're in Psalm 2. This inspired song begins with the rebellion of mankind. And as Pedro read it earlier and even prayed in light of it, you see in verses 1 and 2 how earthly authorities are setting themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. And how does Yahweh answer them? Look at, look at verse 6. He says, I've set my king. I have set my king on Zion. God the Father, Yahweh, says, I've taken my anointed one, my son, my king, and I have set him. And then what does God the Father give to God the Son? Verse 7. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. God the Father gives to God the Son Complete rule and reign over everything. And how does the son respond to the, the earthly authorities who set themselves against the Lord, against his anointed? Well, verse 9, we see that the son will break those who rebel against him. Aren't you thankful for songs that conclude or movies that don't leave you hanging? This psalm concludes. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you see there are only two options here? Verses 10 through 11. You see? You either submit Will you resist? There's a new king on the throne. His name's Jesus. And you will submit. All of us will submit. If we resist in this life, we receive anger and wrath for the, our sin. This is what we deserve. This is what all of us deserve for our sin. But if we worship the son, verse 12 says, kiss the son. It's the idea of paying homage you might picture a, a conquered king kneeling before a victorious king and kissing the hand of the king. Pay homage, worship the king, or else receive the punishment you deserve for your, your rebellion. When Wesley, Charles Wesley wrote, Rejoice the Lord is King, he actually wrote more stanzas than are included in most hymnals and Sadly, most modern hymnals leave out the fourth stanza that he wrote. It's not in our hymnals, but we are going to sing it in just a moment. This is the fourth stanza. He, Jesus, sits at God's right hand till all his foes submit and bow to his command and fall beneath his feet. So then we sing, rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord, the judge, shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home. You see the either or that's presented? I know that much of life is, is not as simple as either or, 
right? In much of life, it's not just option A or B. We have C and D and E and F. And in life, it's not always black and white. There's a lot of gray areas. But this matter is not option C, D, E, F. This matter is, is not lots of gray area. It's an either or. Either, either you will, will continue to rebel against King Jesus or you will submit. His mercy is more for those who submit to him, for those who worship him. But for those who don't, for those who rebel against King Jesus, one day you will bow to his command, you'll fall beneath his feet, but it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Either you submit to him and receive his mercy or wait to submit until it's too late and receive his judgment. Let's pray. Before I close this in prayer, I want to give you just a moment of quiet now to respond. Maybe you'll look back over some of the effects of Christ's reign, his rule. For some, we ought to commit ourselves to rejoicing or trusting or hoping or being bold in making disciples. For some here, God is calling you to submit to King Jesus. Father, we pray in light of the rule of your son, Jesus, we pray that we would submit ourselves, that we would rejoice, that we would trust, that we'd be more bold to make disciples, that we would, we would hope, truly hope in what is true, that your son reigns over all. God, we thank you that Jesus doesn't simply reign a little bit above all earthly rule, but but your son, Jesus, is seated right now far above all rule. Father, thank you. We pray now for those in this room, in this building, who have not yet submitted to King Jesus. Father, we pray that they would turn and trust. We pray that as a result of your word and your spirit and your people, that there'd be individuals who today receive new life and receive forgiveness of their sins and find mercy and find refuge in Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his reign and his rule. Help us to respond rightly, even now, to the rule of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just a note before we sing. After our service dismisses, I'll be in the back, and if you are here, and either maybe for the first time today you've submitted to King Jesus, or maybe you'd like to, or, or you or wondering more about this, please come see myself or one of the other elders or deacons or our wives. We would love to help you know more about what it means to submit to King Jesus. We'll be in the back after we dismiss. Let's respond now in singing. Andrew's going to come and lead us.